Hello there, and welcome to Not The Farmer's Wife podcast. I'm CJ Steedman, and I'm definitely not the farmer's wife. I am a mum, a partner, a full-time off-farm worker, and enthusiastically a lady farmer. On our farm, Mojo Homestead, we grow chickens, goats, cows, and bees. We practice regenerative agriculture and holistic management. If, like me, you love all things farming and homesteading, and if you'd like to learn from the female farmer's perspective, then I'd love to have you along for the ride. So let's get farming. Hi everyone, CJ here for another instalment of Not The Farmer's Wife. I uh, just want to let everybody know again that our uh, backyard chicken keeping course will open again in June. And if you haven't already, pop along to our Not The Farmer's Wife store where we sell uh, funny farming products like t-shirts and seat covers and things like that um, with some pretty interesting little logos on them. Uh, pop along and have a look anyway and see what you think. Uh, at the moment, all of our products are being, or most of our products are being produced in Australia. We do have some overseas products because we can't find uh, producers here in Australia, but we'd love you to go and have a look and tell us what you think. Anyway, today is part two of our plant-based diets uh, and the lies that we've been told. <laughs> um, unfortunately, uh, the more I look into plant-based diet information, the the more disappointed I am with our governing bodies in Australia in particular, because that's where I live, but also in the US uh, for the information that they're putting out to members of the public. And I don't know whether they think we're stupid and we're just going to take everything they say on face value or whether they don't understand that we're capable of reading and researching a little bit ourselves. Um, last week I talked about um, a plant-based diet from the health perspective um, of the human body and certainly everything that I could find shows us to be omnivores with a primary uh, digestive system that works on a carnivore type system and our teeth indicate that, our digestive systems indicate that but most of all what we're seeing with health where people are eating a uh, meat-based diet um, is that their health is improving and that um, diseases and issues that they may have had with their skin, hair, digestive tract, uh, their mental capabilities are improving when they switch over to a meat-based diet. Um, and meat, by meat-based, I don't mean like what I've been trialling, which I mentioned last week about carnivore eating. Um, I'm talking about keto diets where we are eating less grains and less carbohydrates and more real food, real fruit and vegetables and real meat um, rather than processed in the shop meat or processed in the laboratory meat and, um, and less processed vegetables and fruit. So eating, eating the fruit or vegetable in its real form um, as it comes. Now, raw or cooked, I don't think... There's, there doesn't seem to be a lot of information to indicate that you can really fault either. Um, there's a lot of people that swear by a raw food diet. Um, and, and certainly, you know, if that's the way that nature meant for us to consume it, then go for it. But some of the information that I've seen about the toxicity of plants is that um, certainly uh, cooking has some benefits as far as wiping out those toxins. Now, I did mention last week that I've started to transition my children to more of a keto style diet 
Um, and I know that some people have asked me whether or not I intend to feed them a carnivore diet like what I've been doing. Um, but, but my decision has been not to do that. And there's a couple of reasons for that. One is I, I think they need the variety. Um, I'm eating for fuel and for the intent of healing my stomach. Uh, whereas they eat for pleasure. <laughs> I can kind of switch it off and say, I'm just eating because I have to eat to live. You can't not eat. You have to eat something. Uh, whereas with my kids, it, you know, they're very sporty, both of them. Uh, they do sports several times a week. They're constantly on the move. They do need the added calories, I think, that we can get from different sources. And um, certainly they need the variety. I think I'd have two fairly unhappy kids if I tried to force my carnivore lifestyle onto them. Um, and, and like I say, I said last week, I probably won't stick with the carnivore long term. I've been trialing it and certainly seeing huge benefits for my health. Um, but I will probably get bored with it eventually. <laughs> and um, and certainly I, I still eat avocados at this stage. Um, and I will probably go back to eating berries and nuts and other fruit and vegetable that I like, um, that I don't want to miss out on. However, I will never, I think, knowing what I know now, go to a plant-based diet, certainly not from the health perspective. Um, the only time I think I would ever go to a plant-based diet is if I didn't have any livestock on the farm and didn't have an opportunity to um, eat my own produce or I didn't have the money to buy produce from somebody else. That would be the only time that would happen. Anyway, so this week what I wanted to talk about is the lies that we have been told in relation to the environment and how a plant-based diet um, is helping the environment. And I need to put it on the table straight up that I am probably amongst my friends would be considered as a climate change skeptic. Um, I don't like the term climate change. I have a real problem with that. As a farmer, as somebody who's lived rural for a lot of her life, um, I, I see cyclical nature in the weather and certainly I have a couple of people that I follow that are long-range weather forecasters and there is a very very cyclical nature to weather in Australia. Um, we have wet seasons, we have drought seasons, um, we have to manage our land um, and our environment based on those um, and I don't truly believe that there is climate change in that perspective at 50 something years old i have seen so many media hypes of the ozone layer uh, global warming global freezing i can remember global freezing evidently that was i think it was late 70s and we were all going to end up like a polar ice cap so I, i'm kind of a bit over it because i've heard it so many times I really truly believe that any change to our environment is not necessarily a climate change but a pollution change and I absolutely 100% believe that humans are responsible for this. I really really believe that we have um, started to rape and pillage the earth. We've fucked things up. We're, we're not making the earth healthy, we're making it sick. And we're doing that because we use so many resources, so many fossil fuels. We rubbish, we pollute, we put horrible chemical gases out into the atmosphere. 
Um, we overuse things that we don't need and then they become rubbish and landfill. Um, you know, I mean, if you just look at a, a family with children in nappies and think about how many nappies they go through. I have my kids in cloth nappies and some would argue that you're using more water. Yeah, yeah, we probably were using more water, but I wasn't contributing to landfill either. Um, I mean, I guess the best way to go would be back to how we used to do it with children where they were toilet trained at a very, very young age. Um, I think my mum talks to me about the fact that my grandmother started toilet training me when I was just a couple of months old. Um, and people don't believe that, but we've just got lazy about it. There, there certainly was other ways of managing it years ago that we've just, it's easier just to put a nappy on the kid and not have to worry about holding them over the toilet or over a potty. Anyway, I don't believe in climate change in the sense that it is media hyped up. I do believe that humans are contributing to pollution and to um, desecrating, I guess is the correct word, of the earth um, because of their wasteful nature and because of they're not utilising nature to its best and just using and not reusing and not recycling and just wasting things. So now that I've got that little rant out the way um, and people understand, I guess, that I'm not coming at it from a climate change perspective, but more of a I want to use the earth in a way that is in conjunction with nature. I don't want to farm in a way that um, is destructive and I don't want to ruin my soil and ruin my water supplies. I want to do it in a way that I am helping the earth and managing its natural aspects and that includes the weather and the soil. So plant-based diets and farming, where do we stand? So plant-based, the more and more the people have gone into a plant-based diet uh, belief and, and want and need. Farmers are uh, creatures who respond very well to demand. So when people want grass-fed beef, they produce more grass-fed beef. Um, when people want pastured poultry, uh, people tend to go more towards raising pastured poultry. But the demand has to be there. Farmers are not in this just for the love of it. We love what we do, but that doesn't mean that we can live on nothing. We have to make an income. Now, the income that we make is dependent on demand. And anybody that studied economics would understand supply and demand. Farmers will supply what is being demanded. And they will do it because that is where the money is. And without money, we can't keep doing what we do. We can't do what we love. Um, it's no good being the poorest, happiest farmer in the world. Um, farming costs money and you do need to live. And I've got to be honest, I get a bit high horse about it. it yeah, farmers do a lot of things that other people aren't prepared to do. A lot of people aren't prepared to kill their own chickens to eat. A lot of people aren't prepared to get up at four o'clock in the morning to milk a hundred cows. Uh, farmers go out, you know, when the cropping is on, they are out 12 16 hours a day away from their family eating lunch in the tractor out plowing fields and harvesting and away from their loved ones people don't want to do that 
farmers do because they're slightly, I think they're a little bit crazy, but they want to do it and they're happy doing it and they love what they do, but they should be compensated for it. That would be like saying, um, you know, if you didn't want to compensate a farmer for the, the long hours and the hard physical work that they do, that would be like saying, well, you know, a doctor that does a 15-hour surgery shouldn't get paid all the money that he gets paid, but he's providing life to somebody, same as a farmer is, and he's putting in the hard yards and he's done the hard work leading up to being a surgeon. Why shouldn't he ask that kind of money? Um, I, I don't have a problem with him asking that kind of money. He's done things that I can't and won't do. And I think if... If you're prepared to live a life and do things that others won't do, well, you deserve to be compensated for that. That's why I get a bit frustrated about sports people earning so much money because I think, well, really? Are they saving lives? Are they feeding thousands? No, they're not. Anyway, that's another story. So farmers go out and they work hard and they need to be compensated, but they work on a supply-demand system. So if a farmer is not getting the the demand for pasture-raised chickens well they won't grow pasture-raised chickens they'll grow factory farmed chickens if that's what demand is if demand is saying well we want chickens but we want to only pay you know 3.99 a kilo instead of paying 7.99 a kilo or 10.99 a kilo and i know in the states meat is a lot cheaper in australia it's very expensive but if you want pasture-raised meat you have to understand that that is not as economically viable as factory-raised meat. If you're prepared to eat factory-raised meat and you don't have any concerns about the welfare of the animal or the um, quality of the meat that you're getting, because studies have shown that meat is produced, it's better quality when it's produced as pasture-raised. Um, if you're not worried about that, then by all means, pay $3.99 for the, a kilo for the chicken. Uh, if you are concerned about it, then you need to step up and be prepared to pay the extra for the pasture-raised version. Same with grass-fed beef. You know, grass-fed beef is quite expensive in Australia compared to um, grain-red beef or grain-finished beef, which unfortunately there is some, I think there's some mis misinformation about what a gra grass-raised cow is versus a grain-fed cow because I think they can... They can get away with doing certain things and the government still allow them to classify it as a grass-fed. Um, if it's been grass-fed most of its life and then grain-finished, probably should be called grain-finished, not grass-fed. Anyway, so farmers will produce what's being called for. And as we move into a de higher demand for a plant-based diet, farmers have heeded that call and they have started to produce um, crops uh, that go towards um, producing, uh, supplying the plant-based diet requirements. And a big one to note is uh, what I call the nut juices. <laughs> I can't call them milks. They're not milks. Milk comes from a mammal. Um, and that's the biology side of my brain working. Uh, but oat, almond and rice juice, um, they are produced by... Uh, farmers because there has been a greater demand for them now uh, that greater demand is is coming from people who believe that they're eating a better healthier diet by having um, these grain juices instead of having cow's milk goat's milk sheep's milk and for those of you that didn't know yes there is sheep's milk they make awesome cheese i encourage you strongly to have a look in the cheese 
compartment next time you're at the supermarket and try and find some sheep cheese it is awesome very yummy um, so when farmers have to then go with the demand they start to produce things to, to, to fill that supply chain and unfortunately that means that a lot of farmers go down the route of monocropping and monocropping is just about the worst thing we could do for the environment and when I say just about the worst thing in farming circles I mean obviously anybody that's educated understands that our energy supplies are actually our biggest drain on fossil fuels I mean I don't think anybody really truly believes that the old cow is causing more carbon and and methane than than somebody flying a plane from Sydney to London uh, if people still do I've put a little link in there just to show and that's from, the link I've put in there I think is from 2016 but transportation costs are our biggest producer of greenhouse gases in the world so every time you get on a plane or drive your car somewhere you're contributing <laughs> and that's fine we we all have to travel so you know we have to do it we just have to manage it um, but but don't blame the cow for something that you yourself are doing if you're getting on a plane once a year and going overseas well you're producing a lot more greenhouse gases than any cow is ever going to produce sitting in a paddock but the farmers that are doing monocropping um, monocropping is not great for agriculture it's it's what we do to cover supply but that doesn't mean that it's the right way to farm I honestly believe the right way to farm is through diversity um, and I think that if you are unsure about what what that kind of entails a couple of good people to go and have a look at would be um, uh, Joel Salatin is my favorite he's uh, over near Washington in the US um, Polyface Farms he has a very diverse farming uh, setup and he utilizes livestock and cropping in different ways to cover the ground and make sure that his soil's healthy make sure his water supplies are good he's, he's doing everything right uh, another one in the US that's doing a fantastic job is Apricot Lane Farms, which uh, brought out a little movie, um, uh, Molly and John Chester, I believe they are, uh, called the, the Biggest Little Farm, or Littlest Big Farm, or yeah, I, go and Google it, you'll find it. Apricot Lane Farms, and they have a hugely diverse um, farming setup uh, that includes livestock and fruit trees and cropping. It's It works wonderfully. Um, another one that I really like is Richard Perkins who I think is in Sweden but it's somewhere in Scandinavia I think he's English but he lives over there and he is Ridgedale Farms and he is very similar to Joel Salatin in how he does things and their diverse little farming areas all base themselves around that permaculture belief and if you haven't heard of permaculture go look it up Aussies we thought of it well I think we invented it at the end of the day it came from us and anybody that has a permaculture background or understands permaculture would explain to you that monocropping is horrible and it's horrible for a couple of reasons one is that it destroys soil ecology um, soils aren't meant to be cropped with the one single crop they aren't meant to be dug up and have no ground cover they aren't meant to have their topsoil blown and washed away because they've been plowed so many times soils are meant to be covered and protected by plants they're supposed to have good root systems which help keep the carbon in the soil um, 
And they're not supposed to be loaded with synthetic fertilizers and pesticides, which is what needs to happen when we have to go to a monoculture system of, of farming. Now, in losing our topsoil, in losing our microbiomes that live in the soil because we're constantly digging them up and constantly stripping the plants out of the soil to, in order to make porridge and oat milk and rice milk and it doesn't sound right milk oat milk does not make sense to me um don't get me wrong i like oats i love porridge <laughs> but i make it with milk from my goats um so all those things lead to deforestation and i cannot describe better than alan savory does and I have put a link, I have been very good with my show notes this week, and I have put a link in there to a TEDx talk that Alan Savory does. And if you haven't heard of Alan Savory, uh, go Google Holistic Management. He is the godfather. Um, he is what got me into the whole idea of regenerative agriculture. I started, I, I was sent, somebody sent me the TEDx talk that I've linked in the show notes. And I get very excited when I talk about him because he is amazing. He is hands-on experience on the ground. He was making decisions. He was working as an ecologist in South Africa. He, in the 50s, he was making decisions about national parks and about bringing, uh, getting livestock out. He was a firm believer that livestock were the problem and they had to return things to national park areas in order to stop deforestation and desertification. And he was very, very prominent in that belief. And over time, he was, and hats off to him, a smart enough guy to realise he was fucking wrong. He was wrong like the worst kind of wrong. They had destroyed thousands of elephants in order to reduce the number of stock in the national parks. And he loves elephants. So he was devastated that he had to make that decision. Um, but he was wrong. And, and he at least was smart enough to realise something was going wrong with his system of thinking and that what he'd been taught and what he'd been told about livestock overstocking land and causing desertification and deforestation was wrong. And so he started investigating it. And he pushed through with the information that he had and he went to America and he went and re-looked at things in South Africa and he realised that Mother Nature had it right all along and that grasslands, most grasslands in the world um, who have a wet and dry cycle, not a continuous wet cycle, need livestock and they need massive herds of livestock to move across the soil to eat the grass down to, you know, ground level. Um, that prevents weird kind of decaying things happening because the, the grass is being used for what it was intended for, and that is plant-based diet by a cow to turn into meat. Um, they were also shitting and peeing and, and stomping all of their manure into the ground, and when predators would come, they would herd together and bunch together so that stomping action would be even more um, pronounced. And then they would move on because they'd shat and peed everywhere on their own grass. They would do what is nature intended and they would move to fresh ground. 
And when they moved to the fresh ground, they would start to eat the grass again and they would stomp and, and push their manure into the ground and cut these grasses down so that the grasses weren't oxidising when they died later. And that allowed those grasses to replenish themselves and to grow bigger and better and stronger the next year through the next cycle. And by then, the herd would have moved over several paddocks worth of pasture and they would come back full circle to the ground that they were on to start with when the wet cycle hit again. Now, what he worked out that was when, when we not only allowed animals to do that, but when we made animals do that and we, we pasture, rotated them through those paddocks, we actually helped Mother Nature to do what it was intending to do and it was bringing soil health back, not only to the point of, you know, a little bit of grass growing here and there, but he completely reversed desertification in some areas of South Africa, completely reversed it, which, you know, he, I think he was as surprised as everybody else, um, but he realised that he'd, he'd stumbled across the fix, the fix to what everybody thought was overstocking of, of livestock, when in actual fact it wasn't overstocking, it was it was the amount of time that livestock spend in a particular area to do what they need to do before they move on to the next area, which then allows that soil health to really be at an optimum level. As you can see, I get a bit excited about it. I have put the link in there. Please go and watch the TEDx talk. He describes it far better than I can with his lovely ecologist brain and background. Um, but for us as farmers, the best thing we can be doing to help our soil health and to assist with keeping carbon that is definitely being exposed into the atmosphere, to keep it into the ground, the best thing we can do is to use livestock for that purpose. So even if we are growing things in a vegetable garden situation, I mean, anybody out there that's a vegetable gardener would know, would understand the principles of permaculture. You need enough pests as well as enough predators. You need to rotate crops through because the same vegetable crop doesn't grow well in the same soil continuously because pests get in, involved um, when that crop is the same crop all the time. Pests are there. And if you don't want to use... Uh, pesticides if you want to use natural pest protection like having your backyard chickens go in and clean all the, the bugs out um, but also to no dig methods any gardener worth their salt understands no dig methods and keeping retaining that structure over the top layer of the soil which stops the topsoil going whether it rain whether it's through rain or wind it stops the topsoil going so Having a plant-based diet means that farmers have to do all these things that we know are bad for the soil, that we know are not helping the soil. If the demand is not there for pasture-raised pigs, sheep, goats, cows, chickens, deer, um, in some countries, horse, um, if, if, the, if the demand is not there for farmers to be raising these animals, then the likelihood of the farmers not utilising that crop rotation slash uh, paddock rotation method of farming, it goes out the window. <laughs> and we're going to end up with a bigger problem, way bigger problem than what we started with. So 
why are we being told that um, that plant-based diet's better for agriculture? Well, the only thing I can come up with, well, there's two things. One is complete ignorance um, in that the government really are not thinking about this. They're not going to the experts like Alan Savory. They're not going and saying, what's going on? How do we fix this? How do we make this soil health better? Because we know that soil health is what's going to improve um, carbon retention. And we also know that it, it helps the environment long term as far as not having the topsoil wash off, having water retained into the soil instead of just flowing away. So it could be partially ignorance on the government's part, but then you have to ask who's the government being swayed by if they're being ignorant and not opening their ears to these kinds of conversations. So I think then it comes back to money. And I think that those that have a vested interest in encouraging that plant-based diet, um, unfortunately, are those people who are producing highly processed grain products like your nut juices, like your plant juices, like, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to say wheat bix. I probably shouldn't say it as that, but cereal-based products, bread-based products, um, our fake meats, which are made with plant-based goods and chemicals. Um, I think the companies that have a vested interest in those also have a vested interest in reducing the amount of meat-based and animal-based products that people are demanding and, and need to be supplied. And if they prevent people from going down that route of saying, no, I want pasture-raised beef or I want, you know, pasture-raised chickens and eggs and I want my milk to come from an organic farm where, you know, the, the goats are raised out in the pasture and not in a, a commercial dairy. And not that I have a problem with commercial dairies. As I said, dairies and monocropping have been a result of people demanding cheap food and not really caring about the animal's uh, quality of life. And that being said, there's a dairy over in America that I follow at the moment and he's wonderful and his girls are all, you know, it's a commercial dairy, but he certainly looks after his girls. Um, but when the companies that have a vested interest in ensuring that you buy their products, then they are going to advise the government where possible. They're going to advise the government that it is the best thing for the environment, that, that you continue to buy their cereal-based and plant-based products. And they don't care <laughs> if the environment is going to be impacted by their decisions because all they care about is their bottom line. Are they earning money? Are they turning a profit? And, and that's the same thing that farmers are asking for is the ability to turn a profit. The difference is, is that farmers will produce real food that gets shipped off to a company who turns it into processed crap and that's being fed to our kids and we wonder why so many kids are sick. So I've put a whole bunch of links down in the show notes. I can't strongly enough encourage people to think about eating real food in the way that it was intended um, and certainly um, uh, the ladies that I follow on uh, real life, uh, real life food, I think it is, which is uh, Dr. Burns and Dr. Barson. Um, I love their conversations that they have around real food and about how um, you, as you detox from all the processed crap out of your system, you certainly become 
more attuned to how your body feels when you do eat real food. Uh, I'm just trying to think, I've got so many notes here and I'm just making sure I've covered everything. So uh, the main thing, that the last thing that I wanted to close off on saying was that it's a win-win for everybody when people start to demand that real food uh, because healthy pasteurized meat, eggs, and milk is what farmers want to produce. And any farmer that understands about soil health absolutely wants to produce that because they know that the land that they are the steward of, that they're the person who is the caretaker of that soil, they know that they can make it better by producing the right things, the way that the earth was intended to be used um, but that won't happen if people don't demand those products so next time you go shopping and it doesn't have to be at the supermarkets I've got to be honest I'm not a fan of supermarkets I'd much rather go to the farmers market and buy it directly from the person who's growing it there's not always farmers markets around but if you can find one in your area go to the farmers markets you can't buy raw milk in Australia at this stage. I think there's a couple of dairies that can do it, but it's a real pain in the ass to, to buy raw milk. Raw milk, I can't speak highly enough about. People will say, oh, the diseases that come with raw milk, it has to be pasteurised in order to be safe. I have been drinking raw milk since I was a kid. My kids drink raw milk. My partner drinks raw milk. Uh, if I could give it to people, I would, but I can't. We make cheese from our raw milk as well, and it's awesome as well. Uh, but our pasture-raised eggs, I sell them. I'm allowed to sell them because I'm under a certain amount, so I'm registered anyway. But under a certain amount, you don't have to be a commercial um, eggery. Eggery, I think that's the word, um, <laughs> to sell eggs. But I sell eggs to my workmates, to my friends and family. I, we sell eggs. And... I have never had a complaint come back. Everybody comes back and goes, oh, my God, these eggs are amazing. What do you do? And it's not that we do anything different. The chickens are just out in the paddock being chickens the way they're meant to be. And so their egg quality is awesome. Uh, they're also a lot fresher than what you get at the supermarket. Um, and as the date is written on each of ours as they come in, uh, you can see what date it was laid. So it's no guessing as to when how old it is. Um, I also don't wash the bloom off our eggs and that means that they don't need to be stored in the fridge and they keep a lot longer and a lot fresher for a lot longer. But suppliers in your area will supply what you demand. So if you demand pasture-raised chicken eggs, if you demand pasture-raised meat of all forms, chicken, cow, lamb, pork, goat, whatever it is that you like to eat, if you demand that, they will supply that. They will read the market and start to do that. Um, and, and when you are buying vegetables and plant-based things, and, and I'm certainly not advocating don't do that, buy them, but buy them direct from the farmer and buy them from farmers who have a diverse range of uh, fruit and vegetable available and not just the monocultures because the more you buy from those diverse farmers the more they'll keep doing it the more they'll keep supplying those diverse ranges um, that's not to say that you know if you live near an apple orchard don't buy from the apple orchard you know I would hope that in, certainly most in Australia orchards have um, a diverse diversification happening even if they have a primary apple supply they would then also utilize other things like 
um, you know, running ducks or chickens underneath their, their trees in order to cut down their pest issue. Uh, because that permaculture saying that I love so much is you don't have a pest problem, you have not enough predators. Uh, if you have enough predators, you never have a pest problem. But what I would encourage you to do is go to the farmer's markets, buy direct from the source, ask about it, say, are you diverse? Are you farming diversely? Do you do permaculture? Get to know them. They'll, they'll be happy to talk about it. Most of us love it. So they'd be happy to talk about it. Um, You'll find that the ones that are diverse are generally regenerative agriculturalists and have an understanding of that. If you want to know more about that, I've put a whole bunch of show links down the bottom, uh, including links to uh, the TEDx talk by Alan Savory, who's the bomb, and um, also to a whole bunch of other farms that I follow that I think have excellent practices and they're really trying to educate people about farming. Anyway. Pasture-raised meat is the best thing you can do for the environment and don't not eat it just because, oh my God, a plant-based diet is better for the environment. Understand what is actually better for the environment and make your decisions based on that. All right, everybody, I'll get off my horse now and I'm not sure what I'm going to talk to you about next week. I haven't decided yet, but I'll speak to you uh, next week. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Thanks so much for listening today. I hope you've enjoyed our time together. If you did, I'd be so grateful if you left me a review. I would also absolutely love it if you tagged me in your next post on your favourite socials at either Not The Farmer's Wife or Mojo Homestead. And don't forget to get your free guide to backyard chicken keeping at www.mojohomestead.net backslash seven must knows. And remember, grow the life you want to live. See ya.